Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the new season, The Edge of the NFL. I'm your host, Christopher Santiago. First of all, my sincere apologies for everybody. I am really am sorry. Uh, January, by the time we were covering the divisional rounds, I was in my my finals for school. I graduated and whatever, whatnot. And I know on the uh, Facebook uh, website... Uh, the blog I put that we were going to do a uh, special for the NFL draft this year. And I literally, uh, well, um, I caught COVID uh, during Mother's Day weekend. And, um, you know, it was the worst two weeks of my life. Do not recommend, wouldn't wish that on anybody, you know. So, of course, I always tell everybody to be safe and everything that y'all do, you know, and let's get this show on the road, and let's start with that thrilling Monday Night Football, ladies and gentlemen. Well, let's talk about how the Ravens and the Raiders had this thriller 33-27 final score between the Raiders and the Ravens, and what was definitely, what could have been just a well, on paper, an easy win for the Ravens. Well, it turned out to be a upset Monday night win of the Raiders. Derek Carr, 437 yards passing. Literally looked phenomenal. And let's analyze this game a little bit. Well, <clears throat> it's 14-0. The Ravens take a 14-0 lead. And it's looking like the same old Ravens, dominant and um very very efficient lamar jackson you know excuse me uh running and um and he was literally getting uh some good throws at first but we're going to talk about a little bit um about some of the throws that you know we we really just continue to look at lamar jackson so it's 14 nothing all of a sudden the raiders come up with a 10 point uh, hurdle uh, into the game and then it's uh, tied up by halftime then it's 27 24 going to the fourth quarter the Raiders go down the field get this uh, miraculous uh, field goal late in the game and then we go into overtime and we see that the Ravens decided to do a uh, zero blitz is basically instead of just bringing um, uh, maybe eight to seven in a box. They brought nine people to ten people in the box to pressure Derek Carr, who was having a hot day. And Carr just lobbed it downfield, and it's going to the house. There we go, touchdown Raiders. And just like that, the Raiders are one and zero, and the Ravens fall to zero and one. Miraculously, all of a sudden, whoever thought that the Bengals would be in first place. Of the AFC North. Listen, it's week one, of course, and everything, but let's analyze this game a little bit. So, we know what's going on in Raven Nation, the flock. You know, you talk about Dobbin, Henry, Williams, all these running backs just going into injuries for the last few weeks. And then, next thing you know, Marcus Peter, who is their Pro Bowl corner, um... And, of course, uh, I think as Isaiah Johnson, their other corner, you know, you talk about two Pro Bowl corners who are right there. Um, they're not there for the Ravens right now. And, of course, you know, you see that 
the struggle is there. But still, this is a Ravens team that literally ran the football efficient. You're, you know, your running back Williams had a two touchdown day. Of course, Lamar Jackson doing Lamar Jackson things and everything. And you know, this was like a boxing match where the opponent had its other opponent on the ropes. They're smacking, throwing jabs, throwing combinations. Everything and the Raiders were on the ropes, and everybody probably who watched Monday Night Football were probably like, "Ah, well, there you go. It's it's on paper, you know, what's gonna happen sooner or later." But efficiently, then you know, you see what what uh, we've been talking about is what will happen if John Gruden and Derek Carr can get something going, and that's one thing that is so dangerous about John Gruden as a head coach when he figures you out defensively he will open that west west coast offense playbook like there is no tomorrow he will literally open that playbook up and it really shows that when he can figure you out as a coach he knows how to literally open up the playbook and attack you with it it was amazing you know Derek Carr uh pretty much had one of the most amazing games last night and listen I've been I've been really following this kind of relationship and you know and we'll talk we'll go back to the Ravens you know Derek Carr we've been hearing a lot all these rumors that John Gruden wants to get rid of Derek Carr he wants to um you know he's tired he'd rather have like a Lamar Jackson or a Patrick Mahomes I mean who wouldn't want to have a Patrick Mahomes on their team um but you know Derek Carr you know he literally with that West Coast last night he literally put on the show and it's week one, and he's leading the NFL right now in passing yards. And definitely, it's a great thing. You know, this relationship, you know, John Gruden does not acknowledge his quarterback like every other coach acknowledged their quarterback. It is one of those weird relationships, and there's a lot of rumors flying where John Gruden is saying, hey, you know, I literally want to get rid of him. I want a new quarterback for this system. I want to start young and everything. But, hey, you got all these draft picks from Khalil Mack's trade a couple years ago. Now it's time to pay up. Now it's time to build up and give what Derek Carr needs. This is your team. You are the coach. You want to make plays with a quarterback. But you've been downing your quarterback that you have right now, of course that distraction is going to affect the team. A lot of players, you know, they see the relationship between coach and players and they ask themselves, well, this is the reason why we're in a losing situation. I mean, at the end of the day, Bill Walsh, literally after Joe Montana started learning the playbook, He then basically was just saying, well, I'd rather have another quarterback. Yeah, we know what happened in 1989. He got Steve Young to the 49ers, but at the end of the day, Montana was still his guy. Back to the Ravens again. Here's the thing. The thing is, is that you always wonder if the kind of injuries that you saw from yesterday, you know, Marcus Peters and, you know, you, you lose your pro bowl corners, you know, you see what affects, I mean, you saw Derek Carr shred that defense. Marcus Peters brings a little bit of that 
Richard Sherman fear. Do not throw where Marcus Peter is because he will literally bait you and intercept you. Derek Carr did not have to worry about two Pro Bowl corners just going hunting for a football. He literally said, ooh, second-year player, a rookie playing? Let's shred this team up, and he did. It's boxing, literally. I mean, it's football, but it's like boxing. They're down 14-0. They were down the first quarter like there was nothing. The first round, they're literally boxing, but they're getting their butts whooped. And the thing is, is that the Raiders, what they did is that they kind of figure out their scheme. They kind of figure out, okay, this is what Lamar Jackson is going to do. And I've been telling this to everybody. This is what happened to Michael Vick, ladies and gentlemen. The minute that the NFL figured out Michael Vick, Michael Vick became one-dimensional. Oh, we need to take away Michael Vick running the football. Lamar Jackson has been here since, what, 2017, if I'm not mistaken? And for the great father of all that's holy up there, it's been, what, four years, and this man cannot still throw outside the numbers. He cannot throw deep coverage. He threw an amazing ball on a zero blitz to Sammy Watkins for a touchdown, which was amazing, but when... He was literally on some throws that you're saying, okay, Peyton Manning could make those throws. Patrick Mahomes can make those throws. Josh Allen can make those throws. Lamar Jackson, this is where a lot of people have been saying that if Lamar Jackson can learn to throw outside the numbers and can make some throws, some vertical throws, some outside routes, some inside routes, then this team will be the most dangerous team in the NFL. 2019, they were one of the most dangerous teams in the NFL. But once the team figured them out, they were pretty much one-dimensional. They know that they cannot be afraid. I remember when teams were crapping themselves for that. They were like, man, we got to face Lamar Jackson. The Raiders went hunting last night. They went hunting. They went to war. And once they figure out, hey, how to stop Lamar Jackson, they say, hey, if we can actually take away Sammy Watkins from going to an inside route or a post route or anything like that, if we can make Lamar Jackson throw outside the numbers, we're going to have a good time. And they did. Once Lamar Jackson was trying to throw outside the numbers, the Raiders were getting off the field defensively. Boom, 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 boom. Three and outs, three and outs, three and outs. The game got hot in the fourth quarter and everything, but this is literally the one thing that you got to be concerned as a Ravens fan. It's been four years, and now you're like, again? This guy can still not throw outside the numbers? He cannot make those throws still? And it kind of makes you wonder, well, what's going to happen then? They got to wake up. They got to wake up before it's too late. All right. Well, one of the games of yesterday that we're going to talk about, let's talk about that. Well, (laughs) that ass whooping. I'm sorry, Dad. That ass whooping of the Saints over the Green Bay Packers. 
Did anybody actually saw this coming besides the Saints fans who are diehard Saints fan? I mean, I guarantee you there were Saints fans that were like, oh my God, Jameis Winston is our quarterback. I'm really crapping myself right now. I mean, who remembers Jameis Winston when he was in Tampa? He grabbed his fingers, made it like a like a West Side, and he's like, "Who wants a W? Let's eat a W." And you were looking at online like, "What in God's name is this man doing?" Listen, sometimes you need the right personnel, the right motivator, the right coach to be something. Ladies and gentlemen, when you look at Steve Young, he started his career not as a 49er for all the young generation that is looking into the past and looking at Steve Young and saying, oh, man, the 49ers were lucky to draft Steve Young. No, they (laughs) Steve Young got drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they were considered the yucks. Steve Young could not do absolutely nothing in that team. There was no talent. There was no offensive line. There was no defense. There was no coaching. There was nothing. There was just the fans. The fans that believed in them. The fans that just came there to get drunk and just saw their team get their butts whooped every week weekend. But once he went to the 49ers, his career changed. He learned the West Coast offense from Bill Walsh, got George Seifer as a coach, had Steve Mariucci uh, with the same personnel of the West Coast offense, Mike Holmgren as an offensive coordinator, Mike Shanahan as an offensive coordinator also. It all worked out. It all worked out for him. The same happened to Jake Plummer. Arizona, one-year wonder. Then all of a sudden, his career went down, downstairs. And then basically, he goes to Denver And he had the best record as a starting quarterback as a Denver Bronco. Now it's week one. Maybe Jameis Winston just had a little little fancy pants in the fire. And basically he got hot today. And maybe, you know, next week he's going to have the worst game of his life. Who knows? But a lot of people as Saints fans were considering this to be, well, one of those seasons where they probably are saying... Hey, it's either we're going to make it or not make it. Drew Brees retired. Now we got a new quarterback. Let's see what happens. I'm really excited. Sean Payton really got going with him. And hey, you got to learn this playbook. You got to get grinding. I remember Drew Brees' last words to him were, this is your team now. And it is. He wasn't looking at Taysom Hill. He was looking at Jameis Winston. He said, this is your team now. You got to work for it. You got to go the offseason and start throwing that football. You got to really go out there, learn that playbook, get with your receivers, call your receivers, get going. And that's the results you're going to get. That's what we saw yesterday. Now, as for Aaron Rodgers... The baddest man on the planet. The GOAT for some people. I'm not an Aaron Rodgers hater, but for me to hear that Aaron Rodgers is GOAT as a quarterback is the biggest insult. Insult to quarterbacks who have actually had more than one Super Bowl on their record. More passing rating and passing numbers than everything. I will say that and I will take that to my grave. 
listen, this is what happens when you want to start a situation with your coaching staff and your organization. You went to the media. You went to the media the day after the draft because the Packers did not draft what you wanted. Oh, because the Packers haven't drafted what you wanted the last three years as a quarterback. I understand your frustration and everything. But for the last three years, you're telling the GMs and everybody, well, we need more defense. We need a wide receiver. We need this. We need that. And because they're trying to get the future ready, you get mad. I mean, it's so ironic that you were the same situation back in 2005 when Brett Favre told the media and said, my job, it does not mean I got a mentor or get Aaron Rodgers prepared. My job as a quarterback is to get this team to the Super Bowl, to win a Super Bowl. I don't care who's behind me. I'm going up front and I'm going to get myself going for that season. But it's so funny that here we are 14 years later since that situation happened. And all of a sudden, you get into this diva mode. A diva mode. The day after the draft. And you go to the media and say... I want to get traded. I do not want to be a Green Bay Packer anymore. I do not want to be here anymore. And there was rumors that made they were going to trade you and everything. And I said to myself that, man, the Packers did put up a little bit of an offer out there. But it was a high-stake offer. Two first-round picks next year. And what were we at? 2022? 2023. Second round, two second round picks, a fourth round pick, and compensation. For those who do not understand what compensation is, compensation in the NFL when it comes to trading a quarterback or a wide receiver or a setter player means that the, the NFL team that is making the trade request can either get a football player from the other team or they can get another draft pick. That's what the Packers were going for in order to trade Aaron Rodgers. And there was a situation where we didn't know as fans if Aaron Rodgers was coming back to the NFL, if he was going to be back as a Packer. There was rumor that he was going to Denver because supposedly his fiance or whatever lives in Colorado. And we were like, oh my goodness, he might be a Denver Bronco. And all of a sudden, this thing all just shut to the floor. It just shut down. There was no story of Aaron Rodgers. We went through the offseason over here. And then, you know, Denver went on to get Terry Bridgewater. They said, we're not waiting for Aaron Rodgers to make a decision. We're going to stay with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. And then, of course, Matt LeFleur, LeFleur, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, makes the one sin in the NFL. I'm not going to start Aaron Rodgers the entire preseason. Listen, 
And we're going to talk about this, you know, we're going to talk about this with not only the Green Bay Packers, of course, my Tennessee Titans had the same situation. And we saw the results yesterday of what happens when you don't start your starters in the preseason or even in the regular season when you take them out because you won the division, you're ready for the playoffs and you're going to, well, I'm going to send my players and everything. And all of a sudden you go to the playoffs and you're one and done. You're asking yourself what in God's good and green earth happened. We're talking that Aaron Rodgers has not seen a football since January 23rd of 2021 NFC Championship. The NFC Championship. He has not seen a football. And what happens then? You go an entire offseason where probably Aaron Rodgers is so mad with the Packers, did not go to me. And we know, we saw the reports. He did not report to minicamps. He was not there for minicamp. Jordan Love was thrown with the starters all week long. And then training camp, he showed up, he did his routes, he learned the playbook, whatever Matt LaFleur was going to do with it. And you showed up to the first regular season. You're the MVP of the NFL right now. And you get your ass whooped. And you're wondering what's going on. Oh, it's just one game. How about you be more efficient of what you were doing this whole offseason, Aaron? This whole offseason, you were a drama queen. I don't want to play for the Packers. I do not want to play for the Packers. I do not want to be here. I do not want to play for Green Bay. And look what happened last night. You didn't show up. You pretty much got thrown around, look rusty, look like the worst scenario. Skip Bayless had the best day of his life because he hates your guts. And every Packer fan was like, what in God's green earth just happened? Did, did we just really lose to a team that does not have Drew Brees on the other side of the field? I mean, that's that's Jameis Winston, right? That's interception Jameis Winston, right? You laid an egg, Aaron. This is what happens when you pretty much not only as it's Matt LaFleur's fault, it's also this is what happens when you put other teams, other things in, in basically in your mind that is not football. You had a chance to show up into minicam, get ready, get in with your receivers, but because you want to get traded, because you don't want to play for this team no more, what happens? This happens. You better pray, Aaron, that it's just one game. You better pray that it's one game. There's 16 more games left. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have seven, I mean, excuse me, 16 games in the season anymore. It is 17. So now we got to see what you're going to bring to the table for week two. Now we go to that other scenario with the Tennessee Titans, Mike Brable. This is what happens when you do not start your starters. 
Ryan Tannehill did not start. Derrick Henry did not start. A.J. Brown did not start. Julio Jones, who was the literally the man that you got this offseason, who was trying to learn the routes and the playbooks and everything. We see reports that he's trying so hard to get him going with Ryan Tannehill. And what are we here? You don't start your, your team. Not even your defense. Your defense look flat. Juwan Edwins, who Lamar Evans, who was literally one of the best tackles in the NFL, got demolished by one of the best tacklers in the NFL right now. And then we see now that you have a dysfunctional relationship. A dysfunctional relationship now with the man that you were so excited to bring as a head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Now we see that you have a literally a backbone issue with Julio Jones. Because he, yes, I understand he did something a little bit stupid. He made a 15-yard penalty after Derrick Henry ran for the first down. But the thing is, is that... You literally grab him as a head coach, you get him in the sideline, and you say, listen, we do not make this, make these kind of mistakes here in Nashville. We do not make these kind of penalties in Nashville. But Mike Brabel, for some reason, wanted to play... Bill Belichick. I mean, this was a guy who was a linebacker for Bill Belichick back in the early 2000s during the Patriots dynasty. And at the end of the day, you're not your coach. And you want to go into the media and say this is the kind of dumb bleep plays that you shouldn't do here in the National Football League. It is a good statement. I will give you that. But you do not go into the media and start a war with your own receiver. And you're trying to get this thing together. Listen, Seattle's coming next week. Not to Nashville. We're going to Seattle next week. Russell Wilson demolished what is considered on paper the top five defense in the NFL from last year. It hasn't even been last year. It's been considered the top five defense right here. For the last two years, the Indianapolis Colts. He shred them. And now you're going to the loudest stadium in the NFL. Playing that 5'11 quarterback over there. That doesn't care how small he is. He's going to play his heart out. He's going to play hard. And he's going to sling that football. And if you don't get this team, get it going. Get your mind out of your gutter or anything. This team will fall to 0-2. And actually, 
this is going to shock a lot of people, but I believe we're going to start 0-2. Because literally, we're rusty. We literally don't have anything going on. And I'm just like, you know, I, 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 I'm literally right here as a fan. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? I understand because I'm not going to lie. I said to myself that Tennessee against the Arizona Cardinals, this is going to be a tough one because of all the key positions that they have. A.J. Green, DeAndre Hopkins, and of course, Kyler Murray. I am one of those Kyler Murray fans. We have, of course, a defense that brought J.J. Watt, and I will talk about the Arizona Cardinals here in a bit. But it's time to literally wake up, Brable. You literally are a top five Super Bowl pick team. The Tennessee Titans are one of the top five teams when it comes to the Super Bowl. It is the Chiefs, it is the the uh, the Buccaneers, the Packers are in there, the Rams are in there, and the Titans are in there. Top five. And your team literally sh didn't even show up yesterday. Your defense got shredded. Your offense didn't even play their best football ever. Your best, your king, our, our King Henry, only have 58 carries, yards to carry, on 17 rushing attempts. And the pressure was brought up on Ryan Tannehill. And literally, the biggest offseason question, the whole offseason question was, what would, how are you going to stop this? Arizona said, here you go, this is how you do it. Now every team... And the, the, the other 16 teams that are playing the Tennessee Titans are saying, wait a minute, Arizona beat them like that? I mean, it's early in the season or whatever, but literally uh, there's teams right now that are saying, oh, man, Tennessee, I got to play Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, Tannehill, who's been having some monster seasons the last two years. That's what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. When you do not have consistency in the NFL. Now it brings us to Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. Respect, respect, respect. Kyler Murray had a career day with five total touchdowns. Had a rushing touchdown. He had two to DeAndre Hopkins. He had this beautiful off his back foot touchdown. He literally carved up that. He literally carved up that team like there was no tomorrow. Then that defense. I don't know about y'all, but I'm literally looking at defense. It's early in the season. We got a lot of football left to play. But I think the Arizona made the right moves in order to get Kyler Murray the amount of help, not only the amount of help, 
But the amount of, literally, the defensive players that he needs to get to that level. J.J. looked like the old J.J. one. Brandon Jones had five sacks in one game. Three in the first quarter. He literally put Tannehill on his butt like there was no rodeo. It was literally an annihilation. That, and I literally, at first I was like, well, it's just, that's what happens. But then I will tell you this, Cardinal Nation. This is a team that literally has a, literally, a Super Bowl, I said it, a Super Bowl caliber defense. A Super Bowl caliber defense. That... Literally, John Elway's Broncos had in 2015. That John Gruden's 2002 Buccaneers had. That Ray Lewis and no doubt about it, the Baltimore Ravens had in 2000. That Buddy Ryan and Mike Dicka had in 1985 with the Bears. I literally saw reflections of what literally a Super Bowl caliber defense looked like. And the Cardinals literally have that. With a team that literally stopped Derrick Henry flat foot. Literally corners flying to. Literally flying to Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. And Brandon Jones and J.J. Watt flying to get to no doubt about it Ryan Tannehill. The fear is over. The pressure of not being undefeated is definitely over for the Titans. But I really am excited what this team will have. The Cardinals look tremendously, really, really good. And we'll see what happens. Because I really am excited to see what this team will bring to the table. Mark my words, we'll maybe come 17 weeks later and say, well, Chris, you were wrong. We'll see. But I saw a team that literally was unbelievably ready to go. So it brings out to our last subject of the day, which is the no doubt about it, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns. Oh, my goodness. I do not know what happened in this game. It was an unbelievable, amazing game. Where you had Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns having one of the greatest games that they had in a long time. They're pretty much facing the perennial team of the AFC. That's who the Kansas City Chiefs are. They've been the perennial team since 2017. They are literally one of the hottest teams in the NFL. With that quarterback and everything, you cannot count them out. You can be up against them 31 to nothing. I said, no, 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 no. You better put 50 points on Mahomes because he will literally put 50 on you. Fifty flipping eight minutes where you had the lead. You did not punt the football. 
until the fourth quarter. And for the love of all that's holy, man, how in the good green earth did you let Tariq, Tyreek Hill get wide open on the outside? You had a play for the ball, and you let Tyreek get wide open for a 76-yard touchdown to have the, literally, all of a sudden, the Cleveland Browns are now just three points ahead of y'all. I remember I said when I saw where the game was, it was what, 22 to 10 at one point. There was a part of me when I watched that game yesterday and I said to myself, well, I'm not going to count Patrick Mahomes yet out. Now, if it's 41 to 10, I will say, well, Mahomes has a lot to dig himself out to, which is going to be hard, but he can do it. I don't know. Then here we are. What does Mahomes do? He starts carving it up. He starts to figure it out. He starts throwing the football out. He Here you go, Tyreek. Here you go, Travis Kelsey. And to this day, here we are. You can be up against that dude, but that dude just knows how to come back. That dude is like John Elway and Joe Montana combined. And just one little person. And that dude can literally carve you up. The Browns had literally a chance to come out of Kansas City with a W and say, See, we can literally go to Arrowhead and beat them. But for the all that's really bothering me is that the Browns in the playoffs had a chance to beat the, the dang Chiefs in the playoffs, when Mahomes did not play because of the concussion, it didn't happen. Then let's prove to the world that we can beat the Chiefs, even if Mahomes is there. And you had him on the ropes. You had this team on the ropes for 58 minutes. 58 minutes. You were dominating this game for 58 minutes, and then you let Mahomes get back into it. A chance, a chance to get out of Kansas City and say, see, it's not that hard. If Tom Brady can do it, so we can. But you let it out. You became the same old Browns. The Browns that literally can have a 13 to nothing lead. A Browns team that, I, that had one time in the playoff against the Steelers, a 28 to 10 lead. And they still lost that game. The Browns team that had one of the top two defenses in the NFL in 1986. And they let John Elway from the two-yard line all the way down to the end zone. Tie the football game. And then you see John Elway go down the field. And get their kicker to have the game winner. That's what's going on to the Browns. And I hope that this is the one game in which the Browns can say, okay, we let them off the hook. We had them. We had them. And we let them off the hook. We had them on the ropes. We were boxing them. We were jabbing. We were throwing haymakers. And it looked like Mahomes was going to lose this game. 
what Mahomes does, what Mahomes does, and know about it, no fear, no surrender, and no doubt about it, no quitting. The Chiefs went on and won this game. Pretty much proves that the Chiefs are still the Chiefs from the last three years with Mahomes. Can't count them out. Can't do it. Now we're trying to figure out who's next. To this day, we're trying to figure out who can primarily do it. But the thing is, is that when I see a team like the Bills lose a 10-point lead to the Steelers, a Steelers team that, yes, still has their defensive players, but how long can they, no doubt about it, have the same magic with that old quarterback and that team that is getting veteran and up? And no doubt about it, I'm just hoping, I'm hoping that maybe the dysfunction between Mike Brable and Julio Jones ends after this week, because if not, it's going to be a long season for the Titans. It's for the Browns, no doubt about it, it's game one, but what are you going to do about it in game two? Game 3, Game 4, Game 5, Game 6, Game 7, Game 8, Game 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. What are you going to do for the next 16 weeks as a team? Are you going to let this loss define you in this season? Or are you going to learn from this and say, we got the best out of them. We just need to be prepared defensively. And all that it takes is for the team to come together and say, okay, we let them off the hook. We lost this game. But what are we going to do if we see them again down the road? Because if we literally go 11 and 5 or 11 and whatever you got to be, 12 and 5 or whatever you got to be, in order to be in the playoffs, and you got to play the Chiefs, you're probably going to be 14 and 15 and 2 or 16 and 1. You got to go to Arrowhead again. You got to see that team, that dude, that quarterback, that Travis Kelsey. You got to see Tariq Hill. Got to see Andy Reid's beard again. Got to see the Walrus. So what are you going to do about it? Because it literally shows that if we were going to see, and we're going to keep asking the same question for the next few weeks. No doubt about it, now it's time to no doubt about it, answer those questions for the fans. Let's get it going, fans, and let's read them. Alright, so, first question. Chris, welcome back. No doubt about it, miss you. I'm so sorry to hear that you had COVID. No doubt about it, my question of the day is, no doubt about it, there's rumors going on that Urban Meyer and the USC Trojans are in talks. No doubt about it, will Urban Meyer pull another... Uh, what he did to Florida and Ohio State. Listen, I, I, I don't know what really is going on. There's a lot of rumors going on. This is a blind report, anonymous report, that supposedly Urban Meyer, after the scandalous thing where Urban Meyer went over the practice limit or whatever it was of the NFL Player Association, where NFL players that can only practice certain amount of time in the NFL there's no such thing as well coaches 
some coaches like to coach uh, uh, practice three hours, four hours a day. Some coaches only two hours a day. Well, now there's a limit. I think now every coach has to literally have a limited of three hour practice a day, maybe two a day or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's really, I don't know. He's not used to this scenario. He's never been an NFL coach. He's used to the college uh, level. Urban Meyer, not only for Urban Meyer, Nick Saban had the same situation back in 2005 and 06, and we all know where that went, where he saw the opportunity to go Alabama, and he went roll tide all the way. So I can literally say maybe, maybe, maybe this is going to happen. I mean, I, I, I'm i a Florida Gator fan, and I know that this man can do some, you know, some bleep, bleep, bleep stuff, you know. So I know that literally got to be careful. We definitely, I'm going to see what Urban Meyer is going to do for the next few weeks. And um, no doubt about it, I hope that he doesn't screw the Jaguars because, you know, Trevor Lawrence is young. And, of course, he, I know he wants to be successful right away, but this is what Urban Meyer should have expected to happen. So we shall see. Chris, welcome back to the Edge of the NFL. Missed you so much. No doubt about it, your reaction to the Denver Broncos defense against the Giants. Whew. Well, my man, what can I say? You know, Vaughn Miller just literally tore it up. I like how this team responded as a team in the fourth quarter when um, I think his name was Amari Jones or whatever the cornerback is. He had a penalty of a pass interference and went to the six-yard line. Daniel Jones had a chance to basically just be down 10 points uh, late in the fourth quarter. And, and instead, you know, he was the one that deflected the fourth down pass. So you talk about retribution. This is a team that I said that Von Miller definitely made this team spark. And when they heard that Von Miller was going to lose the 2020 season due to an ACL injury, well, pretty much showed that they needed him. Two sacks. Two sacks. And definitely Denver's defense looked all over the place. It was literally... One of the big, big, big wins for them. They have Jacksonville next week. I bet Trevor Lawrence is saying, oh, my goodness, I got to see Vaughn Miller. Um, it, it, you know, and Teddy Bridgewater, you know, I, I know that you talk about defense, but dear Terry Bridgewater play lights out. So we'll see how this continues. They, their first three games, like I said, the first three games, the Giants, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Jets are the easy one. We got to see what this defense can do with teams like Big Ben, Patrick Mahomes, who he's been dominating the Broncos since 2015. All this is happening, ladies and gentlemen. So this is what we're trying to figure out is can this team be ready in caliber? Can they can compete with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? They have a they have a good defense, and let's see what this defense can bring. All right, alrighty, let's see. Um Chris, uh, no doubt about it, your reaction to the what could have been a pass interference call on Thursday night. Listen, um, I gotta agree with the you know the media and everybody you know that it was pass interference, it was pass interference, and they got away with it. Yeah, it, they got away with it. Um, it was pretty bad, you know. Um, that yeah, Tampa. Uh, well, they got away with that call, but at the end of the day, you know. It was one of those thrilling games. I'm really excited that Thursday night, along with Monday Night Football, had that 
um, um, good opener. Sunday Night Football was just boring. Um, but no offense to Rams and Bear fans, but it was a pretty boring game. But, um, you know, when it came down to it, you know, um, yeah, uh, so the rule is that a uh, wide receiver cannot extend its arm and push away from the corner or safety or any defender in order to gain leverage of a pass. And, of course, you know, he got away with that call. And, hey, you know, whatever it is, you know, that the fans and everything believe that, the you know, the Cowboys got screwed or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, it's over. One team is 1-0. The other team is 0-1-1. We just have to get, you know, go back to the board. Y'all have a good quarterback who came back from that knee injury. And literally, y'all definitely got to be pretty much feeling like you guys got something going. And I really am excited to see what uh, all the NFL teams are going to do this year. And we shall see, ladies and gentlemen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for today. Thank you so much for the the this one-hour um, edge of the NFL. I am so happy to be back. I'm so sorry again for this long off-season I had, you know, with all the studying. And, of course, getting COVID was pretty badly. So, um, please, uh, please uh, have a safe week and no doubt about it. Enjoy. Hope this uh, show was pretty good for y'all. And, of course... Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see y'all. Of course, oh yeah, by the way, since I got a little bit of time, by the way, I'm moving this show not to Mondays. It's going to be Tuesdays from now on, my new work schedule and everything. So now I'm going to be, yeah, on Tuesdays, I'm going to record the show, have it ready, not only here, it's going to be on Facebook, and of course on Spotify, it's going to be on those media selections. So yeah, we're traveling around. Uh, I think Twitter is actually offering uh, for me to actually put them on Twitter, um, but I'm really not really a fan of Twitter. Uh, but anyway, you know, this is where you can y'all listen to me, not only here, but also on Facebook. It's also going to be on Spotify. It's going to be on Tuesdays from now on. Expect a recording to be here by um, 5 or 6 o'clock at night. And thank you so much again. I'm so sorry for the long wait. I'm so happy to be back. It is the 2021 season, week one. It is finally done. We're going to week two. Don't forget Thursday Night Football, Giants, and the Redskins. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, y'all have a safe week, and no doubt about it, we'll see y'all next Tuesday here on the Edge of the NFL. God bless y'all.